cold, isn't it? I think we should greet each other with a holy hug this morning, just to kind of, yeah, warm up a little bit. Okay, so um, uh, kids, you guys are dismissed. So preschool through uh, fifth grade, you guys are headed out with uh, Monsieur Ed. And uh, youth group, middle school, high school, Don Jay is going to rescue you today. Don Jay, we finished at 11.30, and I need the kids back before that. So Don Jay sharing with the kids, that means I've got a little extra time this morning. So um, awfully glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, so apparently there is a football game going on today. So I don't know if we need prayer for the four. Do they need prayer for today's game or no? Not too much? Okay, well you can get, get maybe small groups at the end to pray for, for that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today, and if you don't have a Bible, it's probably a good idea to have one, and we have some that you can use. You can raise your hand, and we'll bring you one. You can use one on your phone if you would like, um, just to make sure I'm not making stuff up as we go. It's always good to, uh, to double check, but let's pray and just ask the Lord to really bless uh, our time in his word uh, this morning. So, Father, we thank you so much for today, Lord. We do thank you for this place that you've provided, Lord, and this time that you have appointed for us to be together. Lord, as your people and specifically as your local church family here at Calvary Mountain View, um, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing here in our body. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of us uh, individually as well. And we pray that that would continue, Lord, now as we go to your word. Lord, we pray as we do every week, that you would be our teacher, Lord, that you'd speak to us and uh, that you would give us truly ears to hear what your spirit would say uh, to each one of us, Lord, uh, personally, Lord, as your sons and daughters, Lord, and corporately as, uh, as your people. So we thank you, Lord, for your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to actually finish out the chapter today. And you uh, remember we left off Last time, again, just studying sort of systematically right through Mark's gospel, we kind of left off right in the middle of what we said was a new section of Jesus' ministry. You remember Jesus had just started now teaching to the multitudes, and he was doing it using parables, right? These parables, these earthly examples that were all designed really to illustrate what was a heavenly truth. And we remember that Jesus explained that parables were kind of a way to give more revelation to the people who were there really seeking to understand what he was saying, those that really wanted to go deeper in him, to give them more revelation than maybe to the others who were maybe there for the wrong reasons. Maybe they were there uh, for the free food. They were there because he was just kind of a spiritual dog and pony show maybe to them. And specifically, we looked at what was perhaps, you know, what is the, the most well-known of all of the parables, and it's the parable of the soils. And you remember Jesus described for the disciples these kinds of four different kinds of people who hear the word of God, right? Those four different types of hearts and how we receive and how we respond to the word of God, to that seed of the word that's being sown into our hearts. And remember we talked about as we went through that Jesus was teaching his disciples, trying to show them that there's 
far more to this mixed multitude than meets the eye, right? That in, the, in this huge mixed multitude that there was always kind of a, a mixture of different motivations and, and very different responses to the word and to the message and to the demands of the kingdom. And we saw and we said that that was the first one of kind of what is often called the, the kingdom parables. And Jesus was really trying to help them to understand what this new coming kingdom, what this kingdom of God was going to be like, because it would be so very unlike any other kingdom on earth with which they may have been familiar. And this morning, Jesus is going to continue right on with three final kingdom parables, the three final kingdom parables that Mark includes in his account. And so very cleverly, we're going to call today's message, The Kingdom Parables. Now I know, like, where do we come up with this stuff, right? Well, we have a whole team that works on, on these clever things. Are you guys with me this morning? Everybody wave your arms around, right? Be with me. Good. All right. Good. What we're going to see, though, I think, as we look at these parables is that we need to understand that in many respects, these are just a continuation of that very first parable. I really want us to see how these are all actually connected because what Jesus is doing, these aren't individual separate stories, but he's really laying out an entire teaching here about the seed that goes far beyond just the parable that we just looked at. So remember, he's just explained to them the meaning of the parable of those four different soils. And so we pick up now in verse 21 of Mark chapter 4, where it says that also he said to them, he said, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? So he starts right out in what we know as the parable of the lamp. And so he uses what would have kind of been almost an absurd picture, right? He's using this imagery from their daily lives. They would have clearly recognized. And especially nobody in that culture would ever light a lamp, right? An oil lamp in a house and then only to take it and stick it off in a corner or to hide it or to, he says, put a basket over it, much less put an oil lamp under a bed, right? Now, we're so used to just walking in and flipping a switch and the whole room is lit up. But understand that light then was very, very precious, right? It was very, very crucial in everyday life. And so it's this kind of an absurd picture that Jesus gives here. And then he now is going to comment on it. He's now going to add kind of to this illustration. He says in verse 22, For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, some people think that Jesus here has just headed off into a completely different topic. And so many of you probably have heard these very verses used by people who say, oh, you know, everything that you've ever done wrong or everything that you've said wrong or everything that you've thought wrong is going to be exposed for everyone to see. And, and that's great if you're trying to scare people into obedience, except that it is not at all what's being said here at all. 
in the context of what he's just been talking about concerning this coming kingdom of God, right? He's been talking about sowing the seed, right, which is the word of God. And now this lamp image that immediately follows here in the context, it represents the truth that Jesus has been speaking. Those truths that he's sowing in to the disciples, the truths of these parables, these truths about the kingdom of God. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying is, look, I don't want people to be in the dark, if you will, concerning what I'm doing here or, or what my heart is behind all of this. Right, this message that was contained in the first parable about the, the seed being the word of God and it finding a, a proper place in people's hearts. God's intention, and this parable amplifies it, is that people receive it and understand it and that people apply it and that people can be blessed by it. Right? God didn't send his son Jesus to scatter the seed or, or to spread the word, and he doesn't send people out to do that today simply so that it can remain obscured right? or that it can stay hidden. But just like a lamp, these truths are now brought in in order to bring things to light, in order to shed light on his heart. And so Jesus is saying that he has come and that the word has come to bring us understanding, right? God's never trying to hide truth from us. He wants to reveal truth to us if we have ears to hear it. So again, the problem is so often on our end, and that's why he adds here in verse 23, again, he repeats, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear, right? The key, of course, is hearing, right? God's brought us this word concerning the kingdom, but we need to listen to it. And most importantly, we need to listen attentively. Because look what Jesus says next. He's going to continue, and he's about to tell us that we have a great responsibility with those things that we hear. Notice next what he says in verse 24 and 25. It says, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Okay, now follow the logic, right? Here are these great spiritual truths, right? These kingdom truths, the seed of God's word that's been sown into their hearts. Now there's this light he's talking about of the, the revelation that God was shining on these truths. And here Jesus quickly adds that those things were not just for people to keep to themselves, but they were instead to be spread around. And the very same thing, of course, is true for us. When we, maybe we read the Bible one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with God, or, or we're here and we're learning it all together in a place like this, God gives us revelation of what those things mean, right? He's entrusting light to us, or he's sort of lighting up that lamp for us, but it's never just so that we can keep it to ourselves, Right? Never so that we can just stash it under a basket or put it under a bed. What we learn about the Bible and what we're learning about the Lord, then we have to take that out into the darkness of the culture that's increasingly all around us. And for us to fail to do that, right? what Jesus is illustrating for us and, and really trying to communicate to us is that to have this incredible light 
these truths that have been entrusted to us. And then if we fail to let that light to be known, or, or if we fail to let that light, if you will, to be shown through our lives, you, you know, that we're supposed to put it out there for everyone to see. And notice, Jesus is very clear here that it's to the degree to which we do that that we'll be given more light as a result. Right, The more revelation we receive from the Lord and we receive it in, into our lives, we give it that, that living place within our lives. As we do that, we'll find that Jesus is just going to give us greater revelation concerning spiritual things. Think about it this way. Why would he give us greater revelation if we don't even care enough to do something with the revelation that he's already given to us. So this is a very important kingdom principle, right? That as we take these things that we learn, we listen to them and we make them a part of our lives, then he'll show us more. He'll give us further insights and how that applies to our life. And you just see how now we have this wonderful new dynamic that's kind of unleashed in our lives. And again, this is a principle, right? What he's saying here, you know, he's got this parable concerning the soils. He's talking about this mixed crowd, these four different types of hearts. We said before, this wasn't something he was simply saying to this crowd 2,000 years ago. But even now this morning, everyone, each of us, we listen to the word of God with this kind of an individual hunger and an individual willingness then to obey it and to really incorporate it into who we are. And the person who can do that, Jesus says, they'll get even more of it to do. And the person who doesn't do that, well, what they have basically will just atrophy. It's just going to simply fall away, right? It's like they say, you know, use it or lose it. And so the importance, again, it's an encouragement, it's really an exhortation that as Christians, the things that we know and the things that we understand and the revelation that he gives us, it is not our luxury simply to hold on to it. You know, so often, I, I think increasingly, you hear people say all the time that, you know, religion should just be something that's private. It should just be absolutely private. It has no place kind of in the public setting. And, and what they're doing is they're just closing off the entire public square related to talking about our faith or talking about spiritual things. Now, in terms of a workplace, I'll be the first one to say we're not necessarily supposed to be doing that on our employer's time necessarily. But there is just sort of this indoctrination that we're just not supposed to be doing it at all, right? That we're just sort of to keep these things completely to ourselves. But I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, and we need to ask it really under the weight of what Jesus is saying here, is, is has the culture or has the devil or, or maybe has my flesh or my fears or my pride, have those things just bludgeoned me into absolute silence concerning the things of the Lord. You know, so that, that week after week and month after month and kind of, you know, year after year in all of these situations, you know, we're involved in thousands of conversations. 
and all manner of things are being said about life and the meaning of life and the purpose of life and, and what it's like after this life, right? You know, all things are talked about how we're supposed to be living and what's right and what's wrong. And yet I never, you know, am I to never no longer sort of step into those conversations? Am I to, to not take all that I know and all the things that God has shown me from his word, all the things that he's taught us individually, are we to no longer inject any of those things into these conversations? Because if we do that, or as, you know, if we don't do that, if we're, if we're not interjecting these things, then we've taken this priceless light and we have hidden it, right? We've just put a basket right over the top of it. Now, I want to balance that out by saying this. We don't need to just commandeer every single conversation that we come up on, right? Where we walk into the break room and people are maybe talking about what they saw on TV the night before. And we say, well, you know, that reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, back in the book of Genesis, this is what, you know, and, and then in the Revelation, it said, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And we're just spewing out all of this stuff. But again, the Bible talks about the fact that we need to know how to kind of sprinkle these things in. Right? We remember in Colossians, we read that Paul said to the Colossians that we are to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Then he said to let your speech always be with grace, then what? Seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer each one. So don't over-season the soup right, with salt. And I think oftentimes the, the strongest way to add God's truth into a conversation, again, not that we're trying to beat people up, but simply because we have this light, right? We have this understanding of the very things that they might be talking about is just simply to say something like, you know, wow, that, that's a really interesting perspective that you have on that. You know, the Bible says this about that. Or just, you know, the Bible says, or, you know, Jesus says this about that. Because now we're just adding in something that actually is helpful for the conversation because it just fits right into the flow of the conversation. And, and you don't necessarily need to say, well, you know, in Numbers chapter 6, in verse 22, this is what, you know, thus saith the Lord. Now, I do that on a Sunday morning so that you guys know where I'm going because you guys are all students of the Bible. But the people that you're dealing with at work, they probably don't care about any of that. But you may want to know where you're quoting just in case they ask you afterward. But it's simply to be able to say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I also think there's another way maybe to look, about, to look at that. Or, you know, I used to think the same way about this situation, but here's how I see it now. You know, and I kind of see it this way. And here's why I see it this way. And now that light is going to start to come into the conversation. Because you can say, you know, the way I see it, I see it in light of what Jesus said when he said this. You know, and, and if you have a better way of thinking about it, I would love to hear it. I'm open to it. And if you can help me, you know, let's talk through it. But you see, now what are you doing? You're having a conversation about it. And you're not just sort of hitting people over the head with the Bible, but now the truth is really starting to flow out and it's flowing out freely. 
And then here's what always happens as we start to engage in these kind of conversations and they become more regular and we grow in our comfort related to all this. All of a sudden, as you do that, you are eventually going to get stumped. Right? Somebody's going to ask you something that you haven't the slightest idea about. And I say, praise the Lord to that. Because what's it going to do? Well, simply not having the answer in the conversation, that's going to create a deep hunger within your life to go search it out from the word of God. And to really dig deeper into the word of, you know, to say, you know what, I'm not exactly sure, but I know where I can find out. And then you go and you search the scriptures and by the time you come back the next day or the next week or whenever it is, you have the answer. And ultimately, this is how we grow as Christians, right? And God's going to meet us in that and he's going to open up our standing more and more measure by measure, right? As we use it and we seek him. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said that the hearer of the gospel will get measure for measure, and the measure shall be his own measure. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I bet it sounded great with a British accent, right? But you get the idea, right? We're the ones that determine how much of the revelation that the Lord's going to give us. And when we don't do this, I tell you the alternative isn't pretty because we can learn and learn and learn, but if that outflow gets shut off, right, if the spigot just turns off, then all we're going to do is go to our graves knowing a mountain about the Bible, but we're going to never provide any light into this culture or into our families or our workplace or school or wherever it is in whatever situation it is that you're supposed to be engaging the people around you. Now, you've all heard this illustration before, and if you haven't, you need to. But the Dead Sea, right, the Dead Sea down there in the south of Israel, the Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet, Right? All of the minerals just collect there and they just settle into this lake that's out there in the middle of this desert. And I think if you read about it, it's fascinating because they say that each day over a million gallons of water simply evaporates and yet the minerals don't evaporate with it and they just settle there. And they just build up and they build up in this concentration to the point where no life can live in the water because it's too salty, right? The f no fish, no plants, no microorganisms, nothing. So don't be like the Dead Sea. Instead, be like the Sea of Galilee, right? The Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel is constantly filled with fresh water that comes continuously flowing into it right from the snows that melt in the springs of Mount Hermon, which is just to the north. And then it flows right through the Sea of Galilee, effectively right down the south into the Jordan River, which flows all the way down the length of Israel. And where does it end up? In the Dead Sea. So I love this because these two seas are like a lesson for our lives right there in the geography of Israel. It's almost, we could call it the parable of the two seas, right? But it's right there. It's on the map for us to remind us of this principle, right? Don't be like the Dead Sea, but be like 
the Galilee. And it's for our own good, obviously, right? But it's also, we're going to see, it's for the good of the growth of the kingdom of God. Because it's as we are simply obedient to share this light that we have, we're going to see now in this next parable Jesus gives us that there is a guarantee that we're going to then see growth in the kingdom. So Jesus is going to pivot now from the parable of the lamp now to what's called the parable of the growing seed, which interestingly is a parable that's unique only to Mark's gospel. So you're only going to hear it here, folks. This is special. Verse 26 through 29, one of my favorite parables. It says that he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So here he is, he's still talking about this seed, right? He's just talked about our responsibility to take that seed, right? To take that light and to share it and to sow it into the lives of the culture that's around us. So that's our responsibility, right? From the parable of the lamp. And now here in the parable of the growing seed, Jesus effectively tells us that what happens after that point, that's God's responsibility. Right? Our responsibility really is very simple. It's simply to scatter the seed. Right, That's what we do. But God's the one who makes it grow. God's the one who makes things happen. And just in the same way that, that a farmer goes out and scatters the seed, but now he is dependent on that point right now. He's dependent on something that he really doesn't have any control over dependent upon something really that he probably doesn't have any understanding of. Now, farming today has developed into somewhat of a science, right? I think Google is even developing farming robots and, and cloud technology to help farmers be more productive. And that's great, but at its root, farming is simple. See what I did there? At its root, farming, did you guys all, you with me? Mike, you with me over there? I thought so, good. There are things we can do to make farming easier. There are things we can do to make it more cost-effective and more productive, but the essence of farming, really, no one really can even fully understand, right? How a seed placed in some dirt suddenly starts to grow and to sprout and to bear fruit. We know it happens, because we can watch it happen, but only God knows how it happens, right? There, there is a mystery, there's really a miracle in a sense that's involved in this process. And I think what Jesus is talking about here is that the very same dynamics are in play in terms of our sharing the word of God. That as we share the word of God, we can be very confident in the power of the word of God to produce life, right? To accomplish exactly what it is that God intended for it to accomplish. You don't need to understand it. You don't need to understand everything because you can't. 
Now it's good, of course, to grow in our understanding of the ways that God works as he reveals those things to us in his word, but the Bible is very clear that there are things that he doesn't reveal to us, right? Deuteronomy 29, put a star by this verse, memorize it. It says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And we've said before, we need to be kind of comfortable with a little bit of mystery in our relationship with the Lord. Now, of course, it doesn't do any harm to know some apologetics, maybe to understand the different kinds of worldviews and, and what Jesus would say about those things and maybe be able to kind of lay that out in a conversation with somebody. But even if we don't know any of those things, the word of God still works. And the word of God works because it's alive and it's powerful and it's a living thing, right? The word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, right? That seed is a living thing. And so what, what the Lord's basically saying is, look, you don't have to understand how just simply sharing my word with someone else on whatever subject you might be talking about, you don't have to understand how it's going to become fruitful in their lives. All you need to do is to do it, right? Just do it and I will do the rest. I want to let you guys in on a little something this morning. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but... I can't not share it because it fits perfectly, but one of my favorite times in the entire week is on Sunday mornings after the service. And I know some of you are like, yeah, we like it too because it's over, right? But that's not why. <laughs> but I love that time not just because I love you guys, but I love it the most because I love to see that the way the word impacts you guys. And, and here's what will happen, and it probably happens three Sundays out of four, but I'll be talking to one of you maybe out there on the patio, and somebody will say something like, oh, pastor, I was really blessed by the message today, and I'll say, okay, you know, that's great, have another donut, right? But then they'll say something like, yeah, like when you said this, and then you said that, and then you said this other thing, you know, whatever it was, they'll say, you know, it really spoke to my heart. And it spoke to my heart in such a powerful way because it was just what I needed to hear about this situation that I'm dealing with in my life. And all of that sounds great, right? But as I'm listening to what they're saying, I'm thinking, well, okay, but I never actually even really said that. Right? I may not have even said anything close to that. And at first, the first few times it happened, I used to think, well, these people aren't even listening to me, right? And then one day the Lord said, no, Bill, they were listening to me. And I said, oh, okay, Lord, I get it. And now I have to tell you, it's the greatest compliment that I can possibly receive. It's the greatest encouragement that I can get because what it means is that there is something supernatural that's happening here just like it should. What it means is that the Spirit really is speaking and the Lord really is moving and he's giving life to that seed that we're just scattering, right? And it's sprouting and it's growing. And even though I might not understand how, I love it. So basically, keep telling me that you're not listening to me, right? But that you're listening to him. Because all that any of us are doing here 
all we're doing is just scattering the seed in, right? We're just planting more and more seeds. Now, what are those seeds going to do? And what are they, you know, to what extent are they going to grow and sprout? And how's this all going to happen? Well, I have no idea, but I know that it's going to happen. And I know that it's going to happen because I've seen it happen in my own life. And I've seen it happen so many, many times over. And again, Jesus is just simply reminding us of the fact that what we're involved in here is something that's supernatural. Right? This whole Christian life, this whole kingdom that we're a part of, we're involved in something that is really unexplainable from a human point of view. That's because we're involved in something that God is doing. There has to be this miraculous component right at the root of all of this as we just simply do our part. It's like Paul said to the Corinthians where he said, remember when he said, I planted and Apollos watered, but then what? You guys, the answer is right up there. <laughs> then what? Right? God gave the increase. Right? So one plants, one waters, but God's the one who makes it grow. And again, I just, as I was reflecting on this, I think it speaks so powerfully to one of the main things I think that so often can silence us as Christians is we say, oh, well, you know, I, I think I want to say this to this person, but I mean, they've got a PhD. You know, how can I possibly say this? They've got more education than I do. They've got different life experience than I do. And I don't see how it's ever going to make any difference. Just this thing that the simplicity of this Bible verse that's on my heart to say to them, well, can I just say that's not our problem, how it's going to work. That's God's problem. Our problem is simply to be faithful when we feel those nudges from the Holy Spirit, right? He's the one that makes it grow. And all he's looking for are some sowers, maybe some waterers, and he'll be the one that brings the fruit in people's lives. And so we've got these two wonderful parables right on the heel of that first parable. And notice the way that they all are talking about the seed of the truth of the word of God. And they all come together just to really encourage us about the fact, again, we're not just here to accumulate mounds and mounds of Bible knowledge and keep it to ourselves, but we're supposed to be broadcasting it out. And as we do that, that the harvest will eventually come and God will make sure of that. We, we can't leave this parable and this thought without, I think, just allowing Isaiah to speak into this. In Isaiah chapter 55, where the Lord declares this through Isaiah, he says that as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, and I make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So shall, it shall, it shall, it shall. Did you see those? When we're confident that God will always do that with his word in a human heart that's ready to receive it, it goes a long, long way from us talking ourselves into silence, which I will tell you is a disaster. Because if we go silent, then such a significant part of God's voice in the world is simply lost. But when we do, when we speak out, right, we will not only see growth, 
but we're going to see great growth because look what Jesus says next. So he's building on the parable of the soils and then the parable of the lamp and then the parable of the growing seed. And now he finishes up with one you've heard before. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Look at verse 30. He says, then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So Jesus compares in this final parable that Mark records here for us, he compares this kingdom which is to come, the kingdom of heaven, he compares it to this tiny little seed that he says is ultimately going to grow into this huge bush, right? Greater than all the herbs, and somehow it's even going to become hardy enough so that bird nests are supported there. Now, there are a couple of different things that he's telling us in this parable about the kingdom. And those two things represent two very different views. They're actually almost opposite views of how people interpret this parable. But I don't think that these two views are necessarily mutually exclusive. And here's what I mean. So first of all, Jesus is telling them, he's telling us how the growth of the kingdom is going to take place. Right? What's it going to be like? Now, remember what they thought the coming of the kingdom of God would be like. At that time, right, in the Jewish mind, they believed that the kingdom of God would come like in an instant, right, like, like a revolution, that Messiah would come, that he would prove himself to the opposing powers of Rome, that he would overthrow them and conquer them and immediately set up the Davidic kingdom and it was all good and all done from that point. That's what they thought would happen. That's what they expected to happen. It would be sort of like the parable of the big explosion, right? Or the parable of the quick revolution or whatever you want to call it. But Jesus here, in this parable, he says, no, the kingdom of God is actually like this. And then he tells them that it's going to be a process. And the process is going to begin in an almost imperceptible way from this almost invisible seed, right? It is going to begin so small that no one would really believe that it could possibly even become this thing that would eventually encompass the entire world. Now, of course, if you think about it, that's precisely what has happened historically. Right, we've got this unknown carpenter born in this kind of backwoods town in this hick town region with this ragtag group of followers. At this point, there's not a single human being who would have ever looked and said, yeah, you know, those guys, they are going to change the course of human history. They would simply never have said that that this group was going to expand and create something that was one day going to encompass the earth. Nobody would have ever, ever even be, begun to dream that, let alone say it. And then, of course, their leader is killed. And yet, of course, the rest is history. 
right? And so what Jesus is saying is, again, this is going to start out imperceptibly small. It's going to grow steadily and it's going to grow and, and eventually fill everything. And, and that's a great picture, I think, before we go on, I think that's such a great picture of how God's word is and how it so often works in our own lives. Kind of like we were saying before, oftentimes God's word comes into our lives and it comes in in almost an imperceptible way. And we just kind of receive it and we take it into our hearts. And then as we start, start to let it flow from us, Right? It just flows out so naturally and yet supernaturally and it flows out of our hearts and it flows right into somebody else's heart. But there are those moments where it's almost just sort of imperceptible what's happening or how it's happening. We don't even so often realize that anything is happening and yet something is happening because God's at work. And so I think that that's one aspect of this parable that's very accurate right God's word God's kingdom will grow slowly but it's going to grow steadily until it grows fully and strong but there is another aspect to this parable which is also accurate that we cannot ignore because the other thing that Jesus is teaching through this parable it is a warning now, it's true that Jesus is teaching, again, the kingdom of heaven, right? Professing Christianity, outward Christianity. It's going to begin small. It's going to achieve great size, great influence, great success. But he's also telling us that this is not going to be healthy and it's not going to be normal. That this great growth and this great success isn't going to be accomplished purely through purity or through holiness and not simply through faithfulness to God's word, but instead it's going to occur by way of compromise. And here's why we believe that this parable teaches this. First of all, the interesting thing to know about mustard plants in that part of, a world, of the world is that a mustard plant is much more of a bush, right? Rather than being like a tree, a tree which would have branches strong enough to support nests of birds. So right away, what Jesus is describing here in terms of the kind of growth of this mustard plant that he's painting a picture of, this is something that his listeners would have immediately recognized as unnatural, abnormal growth. It would be like I stood up here and told you, I started talking about a tomato tree, right? The birds don't nest even in big kind of mustard bushes. And about these birds, remember back from last week, back in the parable of the soils, look up in verse 13 in your Bible. Jesus told us that his explanation of that parable would be the key to interpreting all of the parables. Remember when he said that? He said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so the point was that in order to properly interpret all the other parables that Jesus gives, somebody has to honor what is sort of a, a, it's a kind of a rule of right biblical interpretation. And you may have heard it, it's called the, the expositional constancy. Now that's simply a big fancy word that means that the use of symbolism and idioms in the scripture is consistent which is simply a, a fancier way to say that what something means in one place, it also will mean in another place. 
Okay. Now, related here to these different parables, the point is that whatever a symbol represents in the parable of the soils, it then is going to represent that in all of the following parables. Now, in the parable of the soils, remember Jesus said specifically, he said very clearly, what did the birds represent? They represented Satan. They represented these demonic forces that were under the control of Satan. And so now as we look at this parable, the birds have to represent the very same thing. And so Jesus is teaching us, he's really warning us that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow to this tremendous size just as we've seen it grow. But unfortunately, that birds, right, that Satan, that evil is going to find a place to nest within it as well. And I think that what Jesus is warning about, I think he's actually just preparing us for as Christians so that we don't get disheartened as we see that it's happening. He's warning us against false growth, right? Abnormal growth within the church where you have growth through compromise with the world system. And again, I think if we look at the history of the church, that's precisely what we see, right? Church history 101. Remember, the kingdom begins here with a very small persecuted minority. It then starts to become more and more popular until it's finally and fully embraced by kings and becomes the state religion all in a period of a couple few hundred years. And this kind of growth was truly spectacular, but it was also very, very unhealthy because much of it, what it really represented is people were becoming Christians who were simply doing it out of lip service to the secular king and they truly weren't converted to Christianity. I love the way that one historian put it. He says that as long as the church wore scars, they made headway. When they began to wear medals, the cause languished. It was a greater day for the church when Christians were fed to the lions than when they bought season tickets and sat in the grandstand. And at this point, as we look around now at our place in church history, we can all see in so many ways that this mustard seed has grown into a plant that in some ways is kind of a monstrosity. And it's oversized and it's overgrown in a really unhealthy kind of an unnatural way, right? A way that's now become the church is really a home to, to compromise and to confusion. And what you see so often is that when the growth in a local church or the, the size of the church, when that becomes more important than simply being faithful to God's word, Right when, when it's more important than holiness and more important than integrity, when those things start getting flipped over, when we move from that goal of simply being faithful to the word and just operating in the simplicity of the power of the spirit and just trying to scatter seed and making disciples, no matter what size the church may or may not become, but when we start to operate simply with the goal of growing the numbers in the church at any cost, then we are operating in a place place we simply shouldn't be. If, if you could see the mail that comes into the church office, right? if you could see the email that comes to my inbox as a pastor on a daily basis, you would be shocked. All of it, conferences, seminars, programs, 
podcasts, all of it on church growth. How to grow your church in 2023, you know, how to have a growing, thrive, 10 powerful church growth strategies. Now, every pastor, of course, even with the best motives, we all want a big church, right? If, if for no other reason, simply than the spiritual impact that you hope to have on the community around you. And yet when the growth of these things, when that becomes the driving force, what it does now in the local church is that it opens us up to that sort of growth at any cost mindset. And we start to accommodate compromise for the sake of the growth of the church. And then when that happens, and it can happen in a single church, it can happen in a denomination, and it can happen in an entire country, when that happens, I can tell you Satan is very happy to come in and to take advantage of it and to be part of that. Look around today at so much of what calls itself Christianity, and you'll see that it's true. You've got all kinds of religious cults and religious systems that claim to be Christian. Right? They claim to have their origin in the Bible and their origin in the Lord, and they simply do not. Instead... They are demonic in origin, right? They're twisting the truth. They're just birds that have nested in this big overgrown bush. I'm talking about Christian science and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, Adventism, even parts and teachings of Roman Catholicism today. All of these things. Because anytime you start that very subtle shift away from salvation on the basis of grace alone, through faith alone, now you are in real trouble and you are building nests for bad birds. And just so you don't think I'm unfairly choosing my targets, look at how much just of liberal or progressive Protestantism. There are entire denominations within the church today that do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. So at that point, you have no savior, you have no salvation, you have no salvation that's without spot or blemish. There are denominations that don't believe in the resurrection. So now you have no victory over death, you have no hope of heaven. Denominations that don't believe in the miracles of Jesus. And at this point now, you're just starting to accommodate all kinds of sin where you have platforms within these denominations that are advocating abortion or that are advocating lifestyles that are clearly in conflict with what God's word teaches, somehow all the while claiming to represent Christ and to represent the God of the Bible. And it's just simply the birds of the air that have come down now into this overgrown, accommodating tree and they have found a place to nest. And they found it because of this willingness to compromise just to appease people so that they will keep on coming. Can I tell you, I work very hard here to keep this church from getting too big. Okay, just kidding. In a way. In a way, right? If people leave because I haven't done my job to be prepared to teach God's word, then that's on me. And God forgive me. But if, I should say, but when people leave because I have, right, if they leave because God's word has been proclaimed and it's been proclaimed without compromise, then that's on them and God help them. But it is such a slippery slope. And you guys can feel it. There's this pressure on every Christian 
and on every church now in the world today, certainly all of them in the United States, I think, and especially all of us who live here in the Bay Area, that we need to compromise on this, you know, whatever this righteous biblical standard is in this particular area so that we can attract that group to come to our church. But we need to compromise over here so that we can attract this group to come to our church. And we need to compromise on all of it so we can keep these people in our church just so we can continue to have a church. But then what happens? The, the next level, pretty soon, you have to stop teaching about certain subjects. You have to stop even mentioning these kind of hot topics within the culture because it's just going to offend some people or it's going to make other people uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about offending sinners. I'm talking about offending other Christians because it makes them too uncomfortable. But that's the culture that we are stuck right in the middle of and functioning in, the t in today. And so just as Jesus predicted in this parable, the church has become kind of the shelter for evil. Imagine a church where the devil is comfortable there. And I think that Jesus is saying to us, don't be surprised and don't be discouraged when you see this happening. He says, just stay busy about my business. And that's what we try to do here, right? We just want to keep our heads down. We just want to keep pointing people to God, whether it's in our midweeks or our small groups or our life groups or regroup, all of these various Bible studies we have. We're just trying to broadcast more seeds. We're counting on him to bring the increase. We're getting ourselves out of the way and just allowing the Lord to work in a way maybe that we don't even understand this supernatural, miraculous kind of way. Now, let's finish up. We have two more verses, verses 33 and 34. Watch what it is that Mark adds to the end of this section. I think that it's fascinating. Again, understanding that he did it under the inspiration of the Spirit. He adds on in verses 33 and 34. It says, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Now, we've been over the technical meaning of this method, right? We talked about the reason that Jesus taught in parables. But this is what I want to leave us with. You know, here's Jesus speaking in parables. He's giving these pictures so that they really understand this unique nature of this unique kingdom that's coming and the, the understanding the central role really that the word of God was going to play in it, the importance of them taking it in, right, listening intently. You notice here it says he spoke to them in parables as they were able to hear it. So that tells me that he spoke just as much as he knew they could take in, and he spoke it in a way that he knew they could take it in. But did you notice, this is now the 13th time in this one chapter that it talks about the importance of us hearing what Jesus is saying. And the sense here of the word hear, of course, isn't just about us hearing audibly. It's much more so about us processing spiritually, right? It's about taking in deep in our hearts these truths of the word of God. It's about, like we said last time, it's about that seed having deep 
entry into the soil of our hearts so that that mysterious thing can start happening, right? So that that seed can germinate there in the soil in a way that we don't even understand. But then Mark makes this last comment, right? In this last verse, under the inspiration of the Spirit, the Spirit that I think does help us understand how it is we understand. Watch. I think it's really the key to the whole process from a heavenly perspective. I think that what he says here is nothing less than the key to really unlocking the kingdom. Do you see it? Did you see it when we read it? Look at the last part of the last verse again, verse 34. It says, and when they were, what? Alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Put a big star by that, right? Underline it because this is what we encourage and this is what we say so often. It's what we try to do ourselves. We need to get alone with the Lord. Just to get alone with Jesus and this book, to really make time for that because the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Right? The measure that we do it and the measure that we can spend that time alone with him is the degree to which he's able to speak those truths deep into our hearts and really provide that revelation that we so desperately need. And guess what? That's the point that we're going to start to grow deeper. That's the point we're going to see that Jesus is going to explain. What does it say he explained to the disciples? He explained all things to them, right? That's the part, point when Jesus starts to explain all things to us. And I know there's a tendency as a Christian, we can get frustrated and we might even be here this morning and you might be frustrated and you might be wondering, you know, I'm a Christian and I've been a Christian. Why do I still have all of these issues in my life? Why is it I'm not changing the way that I want to be changing? Well, so often that failure to change the way we want to be changing is simply connected back to here, to doing this with the word of God. Because we're hearing it, but we're not really hearing it. But to get alone with him and get that understanding from the Lord what it is he's talking about, right? It's God's word that changes us and it does it from the inside out, and it's this supernatural process, just in the very same way that that seed goes into the ground, and we don't really understand how it produces life. And again, for some people, they say, well, you know, what's all this just reading the Bible going to do? What's all this just listening to sermons going to do? How is that going to help? And I say, I don't actually know. But I know it's going to help because Jesus said it's going to help. Right? This is God's word. It is nothing less than supernatural and God's life is in God's word and he's going to take that word and by his spirit he's going to cause it to really start to birth that same life in us. It's going to permeate our life. It's going to produce fruit in our life and then we're going to see that start to overflow right out into and start to touch the lives of the people around us as well. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for today, and we thank you, Lord, as we do each and every week, Lord. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. It comes back to your word. It comes back to the effect that we know that you want to have through your word on each of our lives. 
Lord, and, and we know that, it, uh, Lord, at the deepest level, it simply comes to us getting alone with you and allowing your spirit to illuminate the truths of your word in each of our hearts. So, Father, I pray that you would quicken our hearts to do that today, Lord, to make that a priority, Lord, and that you would open our hearts so that we're prepared to receive all that you want to minister to us. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we do it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's, uh, let's stand up and let's worship the Lord.